Hello, and welcome to the Powerhouse podcast. And this is episode number 13. Uh, another way of putting it is it's the second of our new series because we've decided to create a focus which is around the books that I haven't written yet. And there are an awful lot of those. Um, last week, we looked at the, uh, my book about careers. Find something you like doing and get someone to pay you to do it. Um, there's obviously more to be said than we could fit in one hour. So if you really want to hear more about that, you have to email us and uh, maybe I'll write the book. Now, here's another book that I haven't written. Um, and this is, it started, I guess, uh, when I was working as a psychotherapist, but it turns out it applies pretty much everywhere. And the title of the book is, It is Hard to Help People. So I sent a few titles over to my colleague, Leah. <laughs> uh, and, um, and she picked up on that one. Why did that one, uh, why did you pick that one up, uh, Leah? So I think in the, whenever I talk to a friend and he or she has a problem, I tend to, I'm tempted to help her. I'm tempted to give good advices and that, doesn't work. Uh, so what happens is it takes a lot of my energy. I put in some effort, but at the end, the result is zero or negative. So, and it's frustrating, I think for, not only for me, but also for the person I'm trying to help. So um, for me, it's quite tough to just not help and don't do anything and just listen and uh, yeah. And as recently, it's recently a friend of mine who, uh, who tells me a lot of uh, stories, what's going on. And she doesn't even ask for help. She doesn't even say like, hey, Leah, what should I do? <laughs> and I'm like, ah, yeah, I can give you an advice. And, but yeah, I think that's, it's the current and ongoing struggle. And I think you're not alone. I think we've all, all had that experience of hearing somebody talking about a problem or talking about really feeling bad and wishing to help. Um, we, it's super common, you know? Life is full of difficulties and problems that cause people to feel bad and we all want to make them all go away so that everyone's happy again. It's a natural tendency. And deep within it, there's something very positive, very, very good, which is, you know, we wish each other well. We want things to go well for each other. Unfortunately, it's not as simple as it seems. And that's really why uh, this particular topic um, really is worthy of a book, but in this case, at least a podcast. Um, let, me, let me start with something that's just cropped up in my mind, actually, that I remember from a workshop in uh, brief therapy that I attended uh, years ago. Um, it was given by a splendid chap called Scott Miller, who'd worked at the uh, brief therapy center in Milwaukee. So that was set up by Steve DeShazer and Insu Berg. And uh, they were working in a part of town where there were a lot of people who had a lot of problems. Uh, what you might call polydysfunctional. 
so many different problems. And in that part of town, they had this kind of drop-in center and they realized that one of the consequences of the way people were there is that even if they wanted to, they tended not, even if it was free as well, they tended not to go to a series of therapy meetings. Typically they'd go to one meeting and then they'd kind of disappear. So the therapists very wisely realized, hey, hey, if we've only got one session, we should do what we can in one session instead of like taking a history and getting all the details of the background and working out what's gonna happen and planning something. If that's never gonna happen, if you're only gonna meet somebody for an hour, why don't you just work with what you can do in one hour? And uh, they produced some astonishing work. I, I won't go into all of it right now. But one of the things that Scott Miller pointed out is that you could pretty much group people into three groups. The people who come into therapy, or for that matter, people who are talking to you about their problems. And he said, the first group, he called them visitors. They're people who just happen to be sitting next to you. And they're not really looking for a solution. They're just making conversation. Um, now, some of them are there in, in, in the world of therapy and in the world of dysfunctional families and people who have difficulties, uh, for example, with the legal authorities, is that there are people who are mandated to go to therapy. It's the condition of their probation. So they have to go and talk to the therapist for X number of hours, right? So they don't, that, that's all. The, the only reason they're there is because they've been told to be there. They, they're not looking for help. They don't believe the health could given to them. So they just sit there for an hour and then leave. So there's visitors could be someone who's just sitting next to you in a coffee shop, someone who's told to come and see you if you're a therapist, or somebody who's been told to come and see you because their wife or their husband says, I think you should go and talk to so-and-so. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so that's group number one. Group number two are what he calls complainers, people who are here to tell you that something's wrong and it's probably somebody else's fault and they may or may not want you to do something about it, but they definitely want to complain. And uh, they don't think it's their own fault. They think it's somebody else's fault. Yeah. So if only my wife would stop nagging me or if the police would stop harassing me and stopping me in the street or whatever it is. Yeah. Or if only, you know, I could date an, a decent guy. You know, they're all sh such shits. You know, why do I always end up with those guys? Complain, complain, complain. Okay. But they're not really looking for a solution. They're just looking to, uh, for an ear to complain into. No. And then the third group that he identified are customers. And they walk in and they say, please, can you help me? No. What, what can you, how can you help me do these things better? How can you help me? And those three groups, it's really the only people who are really open to any kind of intervention or solution or help are the customers, right? The visitors, they're just passing through. So you might as well be polite, tell them a few stories if you want, enjoy your time with them, listen to their stories. The complainers, well, they wanna complain. 
And again, you can be polite. You can listen to their stories. You might want to throw in a few complaints of yourself as well, your own as well. Yeah, life's tough, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't like it. Here I am scraping by on this miserable salary. Life's bad. I agree with you. Um, but it's worth just. I mean, I, that's that came to mind really because certainly when I was younger, um, my family had a tradition of fixing things and helping people. And we did this regardless of whether or not people wanted to be fixed or helped. <laughs> so it's kind of, we used to brush people up the wrong way really by trying to help out uh, without really being invited or required or requested or even wanted. So eventually you learn that doesn't work and it's not really uh, gonna make you any friends. So I learned to stop doing that eventually. Um, and a lot of the problems we hear about um, have secondary gains. So here's another idea. I might have a problem, like I can't get, I don't know. People always overlook me uh, in uh, shops or bars you know i'm always the person that the barman ignores when they're serving somebody else right what i can then do is i can let's say we're at the bar and i keep getting ignored so i, I turn to you and i say oh it's terrible isn't it you know every time i come to a bar the barman always ignores me and i never get to to to, to order a drink i mean i'd like to buy you a drink but i can't because the barman will never bloody pay any attention to me could you possibly get me a drink um, so I've done two things there. Maybe you're going to buy me a drink and B, I started chatting you up. So this is the secondary game, right? The primary problem is that I'm not getting served. I'm the guy they always overlook. The, the secondary game, the benefit is I get to turn to the nearest pretty girl and say to her, hey, could you help me out here? This is like a nightmare for me. Nobody ever pays me any attention. Either. And then I get, I get sympathy, you know, you get nurtured, right? And then maybe I get a free drink and maybe I get a phone number and, you know, who knows what happens next. It could be the beginning of something beautiful. Right. So that's a big secondary game. Um, uh, <laughs> a lot of people have problems that have big secondary gains. Actually, I can tell you another story, but I should shut up maybe and let you go on, talk. please. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK, so. Um, I started my therapeutic, uh, as a, my psychotherapeutic career started, I was a hypnotist, I was a hypnotherapist. And um, you kind of get very interesting uh, clients if you're a hypnotherapist. There's a big group of people who will turn up and say, uh, here, could you hypnotize me and fix things? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't personally want to do much, but if you could hypnotize me and fix me, then it'll all work out, right? Um, now, and my very first client was a woman who had a phobia of vomiting. She was frightened that she would throw up. She didn't actually throw up any more than ordinary people did, but she had a really serious phobia of vomiting. So I thought, well, okay, well, that's a phobia. I know what to do. So I hypnotized her, put her into trance, deep trance, fixed her phobia, got rid of it, woke her up, and she was like, wow. That's amazing. So yeah, okay, off you go. Come back and see, we'll just check in next week, okay? Come and see how it's going. So she came back the next week, which I think was a, must've been a Friday actually. Um, and I said, 
okay, so how are you doing? And she said, it was amazing. It was completely amazing, completely vanished. Didn't have it, you know, over the weekend, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, didn't. I got it back on Thursday. I said, oh, why was that? Now, I can't remember now, because this is a long time ago, whether she actually said the following words or whether it kind of came out indirectly. But essentially what she, the, the meaning of her reply was, I got it back because my phobia of vomiting was how I controlled my husband. So it totally disrupted her life. She was now free to go anywhere. You know, she wasn't suddenly gonna get in the car and go, oh, I'm frightened of going through it. You know? um, and uh, she couldn't really live her life without that phobia because it, she used it to control her husband. So she got it back for that reason. And um, <clears throat> I think I, again, I can't remember the whole story. I think I helped her to like make it less difficult, you know, reduce it a bit. But to be honest, I didn't have the insight, the understanding, or really the competence in those days to address the deeper issue, which was clearly her relationship with her husband. And, and he, he wasn't my client either. It was just this woman coming on her own. So I might have, you know, if, I, if she came to see me now, I probably wouldn't work like that. And I might want to talk to the husband as well. But um, so there's a story of secondary gain. So the primary problem was fear of vomiting. The secondary gain was that she used it to control her husband. So what looked like a problem was actually a tool, a useful tool in her everyday life. But what's the reward? How can it like, I, I can't really make sense of the story. How does she control her husband if she controls or if she sticks to the phobia? Oh, because they'd get in the car, he'd want to go somewhere and she'd go, oh, I, I'm, I'm frightened I'm going to vomit. So he'd have to stop and, and maybe take her home. So basically she never had to do anything she didn't want to do. Because there was kind of whenever something challenging happened or she didn't want to do something, she just said, oh, I need to vomit, please stop, or we need to go back. Yeah, but she, I mean, she actually got the symptoms. She was frightened. She did get frightened. It was phobic. Okay. But it was just very convenient. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Is there another example? So you say when we have phobias or that, it's kind of often that we have a second or like a reward for this. Well, well, no, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> I okay. gave an example of somebody who did have a phobia, which did have a secondary gain, which did have a reward. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I kind of haven't got enough information to generalize about everybody else's phobias. It may be the case, right? But I'm not going to, I'm not going to. The, the trouble yeah, with Hugh, you like you know I like these boxes, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, as a therapist, you end up with a lot of anecdotes. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, even over a whole career, I don't know, you might see a couple of thousand, five thousand people. But that's that's not. I mean, maybe by the time you get a five thousand, it's 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 a good sample. But it takes a long time to get there. You know. Mm. Um, having said that. <clears throat> Uh, it turns out that therapy is not really a science at all. Um, it's much more like an art. And a lot of it is about storytelling. But we'll get back to that. 
Um, why is it so hard to help people? That was kind of a question I was asking. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'd think with people with problems would be would go, look, please help me, you know, please help me. If you've got a very serious problem, like you're in, you know, three meters of water and you can't swim, then you are likely to say to pretty much anyone, help me, please help me. But a lot of human problems are really unpleasant, but survivable. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people live in very difficult situations, but, but they keep going and they keep going. And then the question becomes like, how do they change that situation? There's another type of client that pretty much every therapist knows, which is uh, the client who has many, many therapists, usually one after another, but occasionally you'll find somebody who's seeing like three or four people or five people at once. I remember a woman who came to see me and she was seeing five other therapists. Now, one of them was like a body person and one was I don't know, chakras or something, but there were at least one or two. One was CBT and there was another one, some kind of therapist, and then she came to see me. And when I, I was just getting the initial history and she said she's seeing all these other people. So I started calling her meal ticket. I said, meal ticket, um, tell me about, you know, it, so this is a kind of a derogatory phrase. It's kind of rude, but it was pointing out the fact that she was money for me, but I very much doubted that I was going to ever going to be ever going to be able to help her because her lifestyle involved going to lots of people and complaining about her life. But if anybody actually helped her to change that was kind of that would be too difficult for her so it was easier for her to visit lots of different therapists and complain remember our second category our second category the complainants than it was to face the essentially the emotional difficulties of changing her beliefs or her behavior and uh, there was no indication at all that me as the sixth therapist I was ever going to help her at all so basically my job was to get rid of her quickly and hope that she whittled down to one person who would help her or she gave up the whole nonsense and uh, just changed herself but I, I, I didn't really believe I was able to help her. So what do you recommend in that case? What for the it, therapist? So it's better to, to for her to work with one person? generally yeah i mean there may be interesting exceptions but certainly in terms of psychotherapy you should work with one person at a time but uh yeah i mean it's also very difficult there's another book on this how do you choose a good therapist that's a very difficult decision um ultimately you want to find somebody who you think has is relaxed, competent, capable, and uh, at one with life, you know, doing okay. And you say, well, who was your therapist? <laughs> I mean, they may not be able to help, but 
they're more likely to help than the person who's ranting and raving or telling you, hey, you've got to do this. It's just amazing. It's brilliant. You know, they're still in the kind of exaggeration phase, you know. So if you meet someone who you think is, you know, got a pretty good life and is realistic about the fact that it also includes difficulty and suffering and they're not singing and dancing all day long every day, but they get on with things and they cope with some of the more difficult shit that life throws at us and that person's seen the therapist you might say well i'd like to go and talk to that one i'd like to talk to that therapist maybe that one will help um but you know the best therapist is not i don't think there's anyone in the world who's the best therapist for everyone maybe but uh, um, i certainly felt that i you know there were people i could help and there were other people i couldn't help doesn't mean they couldn't be helped it meant i was the wrong person to help them what else can we say? Why do people go to see therapists? Right? Uh, well, typically because they, they either feel bad or they're doing things that they don't want to do. And that's kind of weird because like the general belief is that I'm in charge of what I do. So why would I do things I don't want to do? That's really weird, isn't it? Or uh, I feel really terrible, and I think, well, uh, I, why do I why do I keep feeling terrible? Why do I keep getting into these situations where I just feel terrible? That's that's I'm not in charge of it, and it's inside me, right? So now, if I can fix it, I'm not going to waste a hundred dollars an hour talking to somebody else. So the only reason I go and talk to somebody else is because I have tried to fix it myself, and it didn't work. Whatever I was trying to do didn't work. So somehow or other, the reason I've come to the therapist is because I am doing or feeling something that I don't want to do or feel. And so, you know, that you'd think, well, what the therapist has to do is, oh, look, it's that. Stop doing that. Right. Well, unfortunately, that's not very common. I mean, maybe occasionally it happens, but if it was that simple or obvious you'd probably have worked it out for yourself you know why do i feel so terrible every morning well because i drank 10 pints of beer how about i try not drinking 10 pints of beer wow i sleep better and i feel better wow i've sorted that one right now i might have some habits to overcome but at least i know what the answer is right but if i can't stop the drinking or if i can't stop whatever it is that's making feel making me feel so bad that i drink that much then i'm back to like oh, i don't know what to do and I can't see what the problem is. Well, why can't I see what the problem is? Like, why not? And how come, like the therapist might look at you and think, oh, I know what the problem is. <laughs> not necessarily right. But your friends might look at you and say it. I mean, you were talking earlier about, you know, you have a friend, she has all these problems, you try and help, it doesn't work. And you think from the outside, well, I can see what the problem is. Why can't you, right? It's really obvious, you know, just stop doing whatever it is or talking to so-and-so or whatever, right? And you'll find that typically what's happening are one or more of three things. One is that people have an attachment to a certain idea or belief. Um, and they'll say things like, oh, I know I shouldn't really um, 
I shouldn't really listen to my mum and let her get under my skin. But you know, da 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 da. And you think, yeah, that's right. You shouldn't listen to your mum and let her get under your skin. So when you ring, she rings up, press a timer, and when it comes to three minutes, you go, sorry, mum, that's it, time's up. Yeah. Well, that's nice and simple, isn't it? There are very few people who can do that because they think, yeah, but you know, you know, I've got, you know, I feel guilty, or you know, and I'm, I'm trying to make it work. You know, I should give her another chance, or all that, and. So it's really hard for those people to let go of this idea of, I don't know, trying to be the perfect daughter or the belief that my mum isn't that bad. Everybody else tell you she, tells you she's that bad, but uh, no, no, she's not, because I know her better and it's not her fault. And Which may be true, maybe it's not her fault. Maybe you do know her better, but still the difficulty is that she gets under your skin and winds you up. So the problem is not you don't know what to do. The problem is that you're attached to a whole load of feelings and beliefs which stop you doing it. They're more important than this little idea of changing your behavior. The other way around is you can be really attached to an idea that stops you seeing who the people are, right? So, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I don't know, you could join a, a political party or I, I love it. So at, at university, I knew a very nice chap who was, um, he was the, I think in his second year, he was elected to be the president or whatever of the gay society, right? Um, so there were all these little university societies and they all had little committees, you know, the, the president and the treasurer and the whatever. And he got to be the president. And later that year, he met a woman who he quite liked. And then he was quite fancied her. And then he started going out with her. And I think they eventually married, actually. But they certainly were living together by the end of that year and, and during next year. So he quit being the president of the gay society because he was now with a, a woman, um, which is lovely. It's great. But the other members of the gay society turned on him. They attacked him. They treated him as a bad man. And they thought he was a traitor and all sorts of weird stuff. And well, that's odd, right? He's just like a young person finding his way and being gay. No, I'm not. Oh, look, I've got a nice girlfriend, whatever. But they thought he was a traitor. What? A traitor to an idea, to a belief, to an ideology that somehow he had betrayed his gay friends, which is kind of weird because he didn't tell any of that. They didn't, he didn't say to them, you've all got to go and find a girlfriend. He just, just said, look, I found, I, I, I want to be with this person, not that person. <laughs> but they really, really got upset with him. I remember it was like a big deal. Like, yeah, chill out, you know, he's just found somebody he likes. That's all right. Who, who happens to be a woman? That's all right, too. You know, it really is. Yeah, good example. I have a question, a practical question. So uh, we were talking about that before. We have friends, we have employees, colleagues, and we, oh, I can talk from my point of view. I sometimes believe, oh, I know exactly what the problem is. So what do we, how can we actually help? Like, what is actually the advice you would give to people who are working, living, Being, being French with people who you think you can see the problem so clearly. Oh, I, I will give you an example. 
um, a friend of mine, he comes to see me quite regularly and tells me that his family tells him for a long time already to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm the... I have the opinion that it's great to see, see a therapist. And uh, if you see you have problems you can't solve yourself, that's a good idea to find someone to help you. Mm -hmm. What? But I don't know what to say. Most of the time, I don't say anything. Or I say something like, well, if you feel like it, then you should maybe just try it. But he doesn't. So. I have the temptation to help. I feel like he already makes the step to think about it and leaves it open. So mm -hmm. I don't know if he wants my reassurance because he knows that I did therapy, therapy myself. Mm -hmm. And I say, yeah, go and see one. But I don't know exactly what to, date, what to do and what to say. What be, would be your Well, answer? is he... Again, well, is he visiting, complaining, or a customer? Is he visiting to say, my family keep telling me to see a therapist, bastards, right? Or is he saying, you know, I was thinking I should go and see a therapist, but then again, I thought, well, maybe not. Or both, or something else. From my point of view, he's still a bit in denial. So this... I don't know exactly what to do at a therapist, but my, they tell me, and I have these problems again and again. But does, okay, so who's got the problem? Is it him or the family? I think the family and his girlfriend. But so maybe they should all go and see a therapist, right? What, what I mean is whose own, does, does he, say to say oh god i feel so depressed but it'll all be all right i don't need a therapist really or something like that in other words is he saying i have a problem but i'm frightened of seeing a therapist or i feel bullied by my family can't really tell it's this and that so he's not saying i think i have a problem and i want to see a therapist otherwise yeah. I, I would uh, I would tell That's story. clear. If he says, hey, you used to be a total mess. I remember you when you were really strung out and horrible. And now you're almost angelic and wonderful. So um, now I want to know who you talk to, right? That would be a clear thing. I need a therapist, right? Um, but he's obviously not doing that. So, the, I mean, here's the question. I would have a little chat with him and say, well, you know, you mentioned this therapist business. Is it? Like, who's got the problem here? Is it you? Is it your girlfriend? Is it your family? And anyway, what is the problem? I think he kind of wants to solve the problem. He sees it, but there's a little wall. He tries to jump over to mm -hmm. actually see someone. Well, but that's, I mean, that's real, okay? It's it's a courageous thing to go and see a therapist. Even now, when like I don't know, half of Europe goes to see a therapist, but it's still courageous because you're saying, "Look, I'm not totally in charge of me." And the great 
delusion of the age of reason is that I am in charge of me, right? It's that I, I know what I'm doing now, you know? I don't have to do what God tells me to do. I'm a rational being and I'm in charge of all of this. I mean, it's, it's completely not true, but it's a very popular delusion. So um, if somebody says, you know what? I'm really not doing as well as I would like to. In fact, I feel pretty shit. And then they're brave enough to go and say that to a, a stranger and say, please, could you help me? That's awesome. You know, I, I always would congratulate someone who says I want, who comes to my office and says, I'm da da da, da and they're telling me what I said, well, you know what? Well done. You know, even if I'm completely useless, you have already started something that's going to help you a lot. You've had the courage to go and be vulnerable to a stranger and say, I've got something I'm not dealing with well, or I've got feelings that I can't cope with. And that courage and that honesty actually is the first step of your solution of moving towards help. So well done you. So what do we, what can we do as friends to kind of support someone in general? What's the, what's the, where's the line between that's the job of a therapist and this is what we can do as friends um, or partner? Sure. So partner or friend, well, the first thing is to recognize your role, yeah? So you, if you're a friend, you're a friend. If you're a partner, you're a partner. And you can't be both of those things. Sorry, you can't be the friend and also the therapist. You can't be the partner and also the therapist, right? You have to say, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. I'm not able to do both. Um, and what does a friend do? Well, a friend kind of hangs out, friend, you know, friends aren't particularly technically sophisticated. They're people who just want to hang out with you. And uh, sure, they'll help do something simple. You say like, I, you know, I've got, uh, I've got to feed 25 children next weekend. You know, could you possibly come over and help? And if you're a good friend and you've got time to spare, you go, sure, I'll do that, I don't mind. What are we cooking? Okay. That's like a, a friend helping, right? Because you've got a clear task, you've got to cook for 25 kids. Um, and you might, you're somebody who uh, wants to share stories, you know, you just enjoy hanging out with these people. Now, an interesting, there are a lot of interesting things that we cannot say about friendship. One is that it's quite easy to have people who think who you think you are friends with, but actually you are not friends with. You just somehow think, you wish you were friends with them, or you wish they were your friend, but you're not really. You just bullshit each other, right? And it takes a while to realize what when you're doing that and what's happening, you know? Your yes, real friends, okay. people, mm -hmm. sorry? Go your on. real friends are people who, um, you know, you might not see them for 10 years, but you meet them and you feel, oh, it's so good to see you. And you, you just, tell them about what's happening in your life. You, you don't think, oh, I've got to tell you what happened over the last 10 years. You just go, oh, I'm just going to go, I found this great new coffee shop, John, come on. Um, you just get on with your life and you share 
whatever it is you want to, maybe how you're feeling or your concerns or something you're thinking about and you don't know what the answer is yet. You know, I wonder about getting a new job. I just, I don't know, you know, and your friend might say, well, I know what, you, I know what that's like, right? You just share, but you're not really trying to fix each other. You're just hanging out, right? Now, interestingly, that plus telling stories is healthy. It's part of being a healthy person. So just to be a friend is to be part of somebody's healthiness, if you like, without, you don't have to do anything special, apart from perhaps call their bullshit. You know, if your friend is just ranting, you say, you know what? That sounds like a bit of a rant. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> or bullshit, yeah. yeah. It's that, I think it's certainly true that you should, if you are friends with someone, you should be able to disagree with them and, and, and without arguing, you just say, well, no, I just disagree. <laughs> I just think you're wrong. I love you a lot, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> you know? um, and that should be totally okay. okay. Um, so, or you could, you know, you might make an observation to your friend. You know, say, well, your men are frightened of you. And, your friend might go, don't be ridiculous. I'm such a pussy guy. Yeah, bullshit. Come on. You're terrifying. You know? They just look at you and go, oh my God, she's an Amazon. Right? And then when you do that kind of fierce look, they wilt. And, and, and you've got to be able to say so. And, and one of the interesting things about human beings is that we don't know ourselves very well. But we are very attached to ideas that we have about ourselves. So we think da 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 da, but actually we don't know ourselves. We just have ideas. I have an example to share. Um, I met a friend again. I um, got to know when I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And there's somehow a bonding, even though we didn't really spent a lot of time in the last 10 years mm -hmm. and now we met again and of course we both have our problems but I think it's the first time we are really honest with each other so we call each other's bullshit we say wow that's you're acting really cold right now that's the really bitchy part of you like but it's you know it's kind of a always with the base of the feeling of love and trust and you mm -hmm. you know or i feel that she doesn't really want to um do me any harm mm -hmm. um but we can we can talk to each other like that like oh yeah i think it's because you were you were a bit bitchy at that <laughs> and it's 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 nice to to have someone helping to reflect or like share what they saw from outside and um, still feeling safe in that relationship. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the world is full of amateur therapists and amateur psychologists, right? So, uh, and that's nearly always misleading. So it's just being honest about what you feel while you're loving somebody is great that's kind of all you need to do as a friend right um i just 
time whizzes past and I think I'm going to talk about one thing, I end up talking about something else. Let me say something about just, so why is it so hard to have people answer? Because we're attached to ideas about ourselves. We're attached to ideologies. We're attached to ideas about society at large and what we should, should or shouldn't do. And typically we haven't developed our emotional understanding. So we very easily are frightened of our own feelings. So if we get a very intense feeling and it's not a nice one, there's a strong tendency to turn away and just ignore it. Just like, oh, I don't want to go there. I just don't want to go there, right? So one of the big things that a therapist can do is simply hang out and say, yeah, just hang out. Just hang out with that little feeling a little bit longer. And uh, that's all right, just don't do anything. Just breathe a bit and, and let me know when it changes. And there's something kind of, there's kind of a lot of treasure hidden behind these really painful feelings. So just as a tiny example, let me go back to your story of the friend who talked about therapists, but doesn't go to see one, right? So there's a certain something, a certain threshold, a certain barrier, a feeling, maybe a fear or a concern, you know, that if he talks to a therapist, something bad will happen, right? Or he will feel bad about himself. So there's a, a feeling, particular feeling. When he feels willing, even if not totally able, but when he's willing to go through that feeling, he will get a little bit of treasure on the other side. He will feel a, the result of his courage. He will feel some power because he's managed to get through that difficulty. Maybe that's all he needs, I don't know. But a lot of our genuine personal advances are when we meet and sit with the feelings that we're frightened of that live inside us and then when we let that feeling open up and show us its message we're liberated a little bit we're a little bit more insightful and then sooner or later we meet another one so it's a process that doesn't stop. okay so how can we help other people uh nearly always there are two ways we can help people one is just by being a friend or being a partner living up to whatever social role we have you know what should your child do to help you they should be your child what should your husband or your wife do to help you they should be your husband or your wife there's plenty of stuff to do in those roles right so just do your thing be a granny be a cousin be an auntie or whatever it is that you are or just uh, be a friend beyond that for therapists and indeed for the rest of us. The best way to help people is to do absolutely the smallest possible thing, the tiniest possible little change. And why is that helpful? There are lots, lots of reasons, but here's one. When somebody is healthy and happy, or they've got whatever help they need, there are two things about it that we can say. One is they got the help they needed. And two, once they've got that help, they don't need more help for the moment anyway. In other words, they're capable of looking after themselves. So they're in charge of themselves. So in order for somebody to be in charge of themselves, they have to do as much as possible to be in charge of themselves. If I help, I don't know, my children do everything, like look after them, dress them, 
do all their homework for them, you know, never, you know, give them all the money so they never need to earn their own money, then they're incapable of doing anything at all. They can't get dressed. They don't know anything because they haven't done their homework and they don't know how to do a proper job because they've got too much money. So this would be a disaster. What we want to do is give people as little help as possible so that they are in charge of themselves. And what help is it they need? Well, frankly, I don't know. And possibly even they don't know. But the help they need is the help they need on their path. So it's they are best placed to find it. It doesn't mean it's easy to find. It doesn't mean they're going to do it quickly. But they're going to find it better than me. I don't know how to live, for example, your life. So if I, have, if I can do anything to help you, I want to do as little as possible because you are the person best placed to live your life. I know that sounds kind of ridiculous in some ways, but it's also profound. I don't know the answers and I need to know that I don't know the answers. I can tell you some stories, perhaps my stories, perhaps from other clients, and they're stories from the enormous great big bundle of stories that we have in the world. And little bits of those stories will reflect on you, perhaps just half a sentence, but perhaps just one image and you'll go, ah, oh yes, oh yes, that's helpful. And it will illuminate your path, not my path, your path. And it turns out you have several options. There's not one perfect way to run your life. You actually have a load of really good options in front of you and something's gonna guide you. And that something is a great deal more complicated and sophisticated than for example, a therapist or a friend or one person. So the therapist, if he or she is a helpful, ideally is helpful as little as possible so that you then are better placed to make the most of the opportunities in your life. Does that make sense? Good. Okay. I think we're done with the time, Q. Okay. Thanks a lot for this today's session and thanks a lot for listening. If you want to know more about this topic or any other topic you will listen to, please send us a mail or send us a mail. (laughs) 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 Or visit our webpage www.powerhouseclass.com Cool. Thank you. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>